0: So if you have gotten to know me a little bit since Jessica and I and now Roman moved here about a year and a half ago, you know that I have a sweet tooth. Um, That's actually an understatement. I have sweet teeth. Um, All of them are sweet. I'm really, it's insatiable, actually. It's a problem. And if you have a sweet tooth or sweet teeth, you know the joy or the pain of that, right? Uh, When you see sweets, you have to partake. You at least have to try which means once you try, then you have to eat too much until you feel sick, right? So here's a problem. I work at a co-working space here in Brickle and uh, it's wonderful. It's called Pipeline. I love it. That's where I office out of. But the problem is my desk actually looks right at the common table in the kitchen, and the common table in the kitchen is where everyone comes and brings things they want to share. And what everybody likes to share is salty donut. And this is a huge issue for me because I'm sitting there and I'm working and I'm thinking and then I see somebody drop a box. What happens? Because I have sweet teeth. I get up and I eat too much. I mean, it's so much of a problem that actually this past week there was salty donut brought in and I'm sitting there and I'm looking at the desk and I'm like, you know, I got to go have a taste. You know, I just got to I got to, you know, have a little like pick me up. So I go, I eat about three donuts worth of taste And I still ate lunch after, and then I ate dinner, and then here's when I knew I have a real, I have a problem, guys. After dinner, I let the food settle in, and I was relaxing and getting ready to go to for bed, and I was like, you know what, I really need a dessert. I don't know if I had a dessert in a while. And then I thought to myself, I had three donuts today right? I'm insatiable when it comes to sweets. I will eat an entire box of salty donut. I will eat the entire cake of Publix carrot cake. And anything Rachel makes, I will eat all of the crumbs. If you've ever had anything that Rachel makes when we have our parties in the back, you know what I'm talking about. I'll eat the whole thing. Literally, dare me, I'll eat the whole thing. No problem. But it's, I'm, I'm so insatiable. And if you have a sweet tooth, you know what this is like, but this is kind of how it is in life in general for us, right? There are things that we have affinity for. There are things that we love. There are things that we enjoy. And it seems as if we can never actually get enough of that thing. It's like we can never stop. There's never a point to where we say, you know what, now I'm fully satisfied. I don't need any more. I've kind of reached and achieved everything that I need to be happy and content. We continue to miss the mark on that. And we ask that question, which is what we're dealing with tonight, which is, how, how, can I, how come I can never be satisfied? Right? It seems like no matter what, I can never actually fully be satisfied. I may have moments of happiness or contentment, but satisfaction seems elusive. If you've been with us, we're now in the fourth week of going through this series called Vintage Wisdom. We're looking at Proverbs and then some supplemental texts as you heard us read from Psalms tonight as well. And what we've been talking about the first week, we said, here's what wisdom is. Here's wisdom and here's foolishness. This is how Proverbs is crafted. And we talked about how Proverbs is not written to just read one line and then say, that's my, my life verse and I'm not going to actually pen it against anything else. It's supposed to be read in the whole council of scripture, as well as in the entire book of Proverbs, because a proverb is truth condensed to one line. And so we're looking through this and we're saying, what's wisdom? What's foolishness? And we're asking the question, not what is wise for me, which is what we like to ask ourselves, but what is actually wise? And then second week we said, okay, what is wisdom in regards to anger? And then last week we we kind of ratcheted up the tension and we said, what is wisdom in regards to our sexuality and our sex life? And then this week we're saying, what is wisdom in regards to satisfaction? And that's what we're gonna dive into tonight. So you go look in your worship program or your Bible, starting in verse or Proverbs twenty-three, verse seventeen. Here's what it says. Let not your heart envy sinners. Stop right there. Remember, we talk about this a lot. When you read scripture, you gotta read slow. You can't just read quickly, read through and say, I got the gist, I know what's going on now. You have to think about every word. Every word is intentional. So you read this and you say, Let not your heart, there's a subject, and what does the heart do? The heart Envies. This is what the heart always does. And so, what is envy? Envy is a desire to have, that's very important, a desire to have a quality, a possession, a lifestyle, or an attribute that belongs to somebody else, right? And this is what the heart does. It envies. You hear this word, envy, and you automatically think of the different negative responses maybe that you've felt and you've dealt with. So maybe you envy the possessions of another person. You envy the relationship of another person. You envy the looks of another person. You envy the lifestyle of another person. You envy the position and the status and the recognition that somebody has in their professional career of another person. You envy the school that another person goes to. This is a natural proclivity of our heart. Our heart always is searching for something to desire to have, to take, to pull in. And our feelings are generated from the heart, right? It's how we speak about it. When we say the heart, we don't actually mean the physical thing beating in our chest. Just like when we say our mind, we don't mean simply our brain. We say our mind is used to talk about thinking and our heart is used to talk about feeling, and so the reason that we have such a hard time with contentment and we have a, such a hard time with finding satisfaction is because the natural proclivity of our heart, our feelings, are always to have something that belongs to someone else. We want a quality or an attribute or a lifestyle or a possession or a job status. Whatever the case may be, we want and we feel that we need to have that thing and so satisfaction in in work is hard why because you want that person's position because you want that person's bank account because you want that person's recognition. And so what you do, because your heart is aimed at that thing, and you say, I have to have that in order to be satisfied, in order to feel content and happy and full of joy, I have to have that thing. And so you grind and you work and you hustle in order to get to that place. And then once you get to that place, your heart does something really evil. It happens to every single one of us, right? Once you achieve that thing that you thought was gonna make you happy and content and satisfied, you reach that position in your job, your heart just turns its focus to something else that you have to have in order to be content. Satisfaction is hard in relationships, right? Because when you're in a relationship, you can be asking yourself, well, what if so-and-so, what if the person that I'm with was more like that person? What if they had that quality? What if they had those attributes? Or if you're not in a relationship, you may think to yourself, If I just had a relationship like that, then I would be happy and the heart will do what it always does is once you achieve that thing, once you, you try to fix the relationship that you're in or you attain a relationship that you wanted, your heart will just aim itself somewhere different. Or maybe it's a lifestyle. Maybe you look at a certain lifestyle and you say, you know what? If I had that lifestyle, I'd be happy. If I just didn't live in Miami and I lived in this city, then I'd be happy, right? Or if I reach this place professionally, socially, intellectually, relationally, if I just got to this level like that person, then I would be happy. If I had that type of lifestyle. But what happens is, if you do achieve that thing that you thought was going to make you satisfied, you will notice that your heart is just going to look at something else. See, the heart feels that it needs to have things, and it's what guides our life, right? We are are guided and led, our behavior, our actions, our life is led by our feelings. And you're going to think to yourself right now, because uh, we have a lot of really brilliant people in the room, and you're going to say, Carter, no, I'm not led by my feelings. I am a thoughtful, intelligent, analytical person, and I think my way through life, and I am led by my mind, not my feelings or my heart well, you're wrong. I'm sorry to burst your bubble if you think that, but you're wrong. Every single person is led by their heart. It's what motivates our behavior. It's what drives our behavior. If you just think about how you use language, right? You don't say, you know what? I'm going to think myself to satisfaction. You don't think satisfied. You feel satisfied, right? No one says, you know what? I'm really, I, I think I'm satisfied, you're like, what? No, you're not. That's weird. You say, I feel satisfied. If you just look at the human brain, this was like, this like blew my mind because I don't know anything about science. Half of you in this room know a lot about science, so you can correct me if I'm wrong. But the brain apparently takes in 14 million pieces of information every second like that will make your brain explode. Think about that, right? Every second right now, 14 million pieces of information are being delivered to your brain, and then your brain takes that information and it puts it into into 100 to 200 bundles that travel across the neural network of your brain. But you can only be conscious of 5 to 9 of those bundles. So you take in 14 million pieces of information that are bundled into 100 to 200 bundles that are traveling all throughout your brain, but you are only capable of knowing five to nine of them at a time consciously. Which means the majority of what's taking place, the majority of what's motivating and driving you and causing behavior is actually unconscious. There's a professor at Cal Berkeley that says, uh, George Lakoff, he says that he he believes, and and many other neuroscientists would say the same thing, that about 90% of all thought or behavior is driven by the unconscious thought, the thing that you're not actually thinking in the moment. I mean, if you think about driving a car, right? Most of us in Brickle we don't drive cars. We just cross our fingers when we get into an Uber, hoping we don't throw up, right? But if you do drive a car, and most of us all here have driven a car before, are you thinking the entire time you're driving? I mean, think about that, right? Are you thinking, now I need to move the wheel to 42 degrees, right? And now I need to apply this much pressure to the pedal. And when I park, especially parallel park, I need to measure so I know exactly the geometry to get the car into this. No, you don't do that, right? What do you do when you drive a car? You feel You just, you get in and somehow you just know exactly what to do. After you've learned, after you've processed, you just know how to do it. You just drive and you feel it. So why am I telling you all of this? Because your feelings drive your behavior. Take a little introspective test with me. Last week we talked about sexual issues, right? And so if if you listened to last week's sermon or if you processed it before and and you said, you know what, I, I do think it's wisdom, to refrain from sexual activity until I'm in the covenant of marriage. I do think it's wisdom to, to stay away from pornography and, and lust. But you know it's really hard. Like I know in my head that it's wrong. I know that it's destructive. I know that it's not beneficial. And I can think of all kinds of different strategies that I can do to keep myself from it. But you keep falling into it. Why? Because your feelings... Are driving your behavior if you've been going to church for a little bit of time or maybe your whole life five years whatever the case may be you've heard a lot of sermons on similar topics right you've heard that it's important to pray you've heard that it's important to spend time every day reading the bible you've heard that you're to be humble instead of prideful and not to gossip to give financially to the mission of the gospel to to serve and to care for others You've heard a lot of these different things over and over and over again. If you've been in the church in different Bible studies for a while, you can probably even reference passages. You know a lot of information. You could write a little three, four, five page paper on it if you needed to. But it's a really hard thing to implement some of those things into your life. Even though you know that they're wise and true and good and beneficial, it's hard to implement why. Because your heart is aimed at something else that it has to have. And because it's not aimed at those things, your heart is going to drive your behavior and your action. And it's going to carry you to that place. So wherever you aim your heart is actually where you go. Right? If someone asks you, if you're in a relationship with somebody, and they they say to you, hey, do you love me? And you say, you know what? Let me think about it. Can you imagine? That's a terrible thing. Please don't do that. Even if you think like you're driven by your don't ever do that because there's two problems with that. One, relationship's over at that point. Secondly, the answer is no, I don't love you, right? If you have to sit there and say, let me think about it. I'm going to analyze it. I'm going to do a pros and cons list, then I'll get back to you, right? You don't do that. Somebody says, do you love me? And instinctively you say, yes, I love you. Now your mind and your heart have worked together, right? You haven't just like kind of Organically come about that without thinking. You've thought about the relationship. You've you've seen the compatibility. You've analyzed different things. You say we have the same vision for life. We really fit well together. You love the Lord. I love the Lord. All these different things. You're looking at it and you're saying, "Yeah, we." I do love you, but your heart is the one that erupts with the response. Your heart is the one that drives the behavior in the relationship. It's not because you're thinking of all these different things. It's because you respond out of this feeling of love. Your mind was involved in it, but you're driven primarily by your heart. And so what the psalmist is saying here is do not let your heart, the very thing that drives the majority of your behavior and your actions, do not let your heart envy other people. Because if you do, that's where you're going to go. That's where you're going to search for satisfaction. And it's gonna be destructive, you're never gonna find it if you allow your heart to aim and focus at something else that you have to have. You see, we look at a lot of different things, qualities, lifestyle, possessions, attributes, positions professionally that people have and we have respect for it and that's a good thing, right? You have respect for those different things and that leads to admiration, right? You admire different qualities in other people. You admire where someone has, has achieved professionally. You admire what someone is able to do with their resources. You admire all these different things. But envy takes admiration to a really unhealthy level. Envy takes admiration and says, and it's not that I just admire that thing. It's that I have to have it. And if I don't have it, there's no way... I can be satisfied. I mean, you can tell yourself all you want. You know what? I should be content in my job. I should be content with where I live. I should be content with my current relationship status. I should be content with my bank account. I should be content with the possessions I have. I should be content with the attributes that God has given me. You can tell yourself that all you want. But you struggle with it because we just keep aiming our heart at everything else that doesn't belong to us. And we tell ourselves it is something that we have to have and if we don't get it, we'll never be happy. Look at Psalm 73. It's saying the same thing. It says, truly God is good to Israel, to those who are pure in heart. Notice the language. But as for me, my feet had almost stumbled. My steps had nearly slipped, for I was envious of the arrogant when I saw their prosperity. Prosperity of the wicked. Look at verse 2 there. It's creating this image of somebody that's walking and falls down, right? You know what this is like. You've been walking and you hit a crack or you stub your toe and you fall to the ground and you just catch yourself. You've been in Brickle. You know how this works. You're looking at your phone and then you fall, right? And you fall and you catch yourself at the very end. You could just like sit at Passion on Brickle Avenue and watch this happen multiple times within an hour. It's going to happen. Right? You're walking and you trip and you fall, but you don't actually crash to the ground. You stop right before you hit the ground. This is what he's saying. He's saying... I was walking I was living my life and all of a sudden I realized that I was I was tripping I was stumbling I was falling to the ground and in the second half of verse 2 that says my steps had nearly slipped actually could Be translated. I nearly lost my happiness So he's saying i'm walking through life Going forward in the direction. that I think I need to be going and I notice that my feet are stumbling and i'm falling down And my satisfaction my joy my happiness is slipping why? Because I was envious of the arrogant and I, I thought I needed to have the prosperity of the wicked. Because I allowed my heart to look at everyone and everything around me and I said, I, I, I have to have those things and if I don't have those things, there's no way I could be happy and I realized that I was crashing down to the ground and my satisfaction and my joy was actually slipping as I looked at the prosperity of the of others, but he says he catches himself, and and how, was well, because he he redirects his heart. Look at verse twenty. He says, "Like a dream when one awakes," he says he awoke from a dream. Oh Lord, when you rouse yourself, you despise them as phantoms. My soul was embittered when I was pricked in the heart. I was brutish and ignorant. I was like a beast towards you. It's such, such a beautiful confession. He's writing this prayer to god and he says listen i I recognize that i was walking and i was envious of everything that everyone else had the prosperity of others that wasn't mine and i thought to myself i have to have those things in order to be happy and it was like i was crashing to the ground and i was losing my satisfaction and i recognized god that i was ignorant that my soul was bitter that I was brutish to you, that I was like a a wild beast to you, meaning his relationship with God was full of hostility and aggression, that there was no healthy relationship between him and God at this moment because his heart was not aimed anywhere close to God. His heart was aimed at everything else that he didn't have that he thought he had to have. And it was like he was crashing to the ground. But then he says in verse 23 and 24, nevertheless, I'm continually with you you hold my right hand, you guide me with your counsel, and afterward, you will receive me to glory. He's saying that as I was walking, and I was falling, and I was stumbling down, right before I crashed the ground, I realized something. God, you've been with me the whole time. You've been right here next to me. You've been holding my hand. You've been guiding me. You're lifting me up even now. Before I lost all joy and satisfaction, I came crashing down to the ground. You were right here next to me the entire time. And he's saying it's as if I awoke from this nightmare and I realized that I was pointing the affections of my heart. And I was allowing my heart to desire and to believe that I needed to have everything that everyone else had when I should have been aiming my heart at you, God. Because you were actually right there with me the whole time. That's what he says in verse 25 and 26. He says... Whom have I in heaven but you? There is nothing on earth that I desire besides you. My flesh and my heart may fail, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. Notice the language he uses here. It's a language of desire, right? He says, there is nothing on earth that I desire but you. That's not how he was living before. Before he desired everything that everybody else had that he didn't have. But now, as he came crashing down and he realized that God was next to him and he was lifting him up and he was guiding him, he says, But now, God, I realize that I should have been aiming my heart at you, and I don't desire anything but you. And he says something very encouraging to all of us here because we know the difficulty of staying away from envying the possessions and lifestyle and attributes and qualities of others. He says, My flesh and my heart may fail. Meaning, listen, I I may relapse. <laughs> my heart may turn back to the prosperity of others. I'm going to fall, but God is my strength. He's the strength of my heart and my portion forever. He's reminding himself in this prayer as he's confessing and as he's going forward, aiming his heart at God saying, this is where I'm going to find satisfaction, God, in you, in your qualities, in your possessions, in your attributes. In the lifestyle that you have set for me, that's where I'm going to seek satisfaction. And he says, I may fall again. I may fail again. I probably am going to. Actually, I am going to. But you're going to be my strength again. You're going to be there next to me again. You're going to pick me up when I fall again. You're going to counsel and guide me again. Because you're going to be my portion forever. You've guaranteed that in this relationship with me. That forever I will be satisfied in you. Though I may struggle to find satisfaction in you now, in this life, you're going to continue to redirect me to yourself to ultimately I'm with you forever, finding full satisfaction. You see, this psalm here is about envy. It's about desire. It's about satisfaction. And notice, it doesn't speak at all about the mind. It speaks about the heart, right? Because you don't think your way to satisfaction. You feel Satisfaction. The psalmist has an awakening that he's envying everything else and he believes he has to have those things, and he comes to realize that he should have been redirecting his heart in the first place to God who was always with him and never left him, even when he was like a wild beast to him. He was hostile in his relationship. And what this psalm is revealing, which is what it's saying in Proverbs 23, is that if anything, is the source of your satisfaction over God? Contentment is going to be elusive. You're not going to find joy. You're not going to find contentment if you make anything the source of your satisfaction over God. Look at the rest of Proverbs 23; is saying this exact same thing. It says, "But continue." Right before, right it says, "Do not envy. Not allow your heart to envy sinners. But continue in the fear or reverence of the Lord all day." Surely there is a future, and your hope will not be cut off. See, the heart is continuously noticing things and people. It's continuously feeling, it's continuously recognizing different qualities and attributes and possessions and lifestyles that you respect, that you admire. And the heart responds in one of two ways when it feels different things it responds in the appropriate way with admiration, right? That's a wonderful quality that that person possesses. Wow, they've, God has really blessed them in their job or with their resources and what they can use them for. The attributes and the talents that that person has are really admirable and worthy of respect. Or, which is a natural proclivity of our heart, we say, wow, look at that quality that the person has. I have to have that those possessions that they have, I have to have those. That job level, recognition, admiration, success, I have to have it. That type of relationship, I have to have it. If I don't have it, there's no way I could ever be happy. I could ever be satisfied. You see, the difference between envy and respect is that envy is always interested in taking. And respect celebrates big difference between the two. You can always tell whether or not your heart, you're allowing your heart to envy the things of others because you want to take it from them instead of wanting to celebrate what is being done in the lives of others. You know, Paul tells us that we're to rejoice with people when they're rejoicing and mourn with people when they're mourning. But envy does the opposite, right? Envy mourns when people rejoice. And it rejoices when people mourn because envy wants no one else to succeed because envy drives your heart to say, I need those things. I don't care if other people have them. I want to have them because then I will be happy. And you're never going to find satisfaction like that because here's what you're saying, right? When you allow your heart to envy all of these different things that you focus on, that you feel you need to have. And so therefore that's where you run after for satisfaction. You're literally saying, I am incomplete. I am inadequate as I am now. I am incomplete and I am not full. I'm, I'm actually empty, maybe half full, but I'm not satisfied. I'm not content. I'm not whole. I'm inadequate until I have those things. And Proverbs, along with Psalms, is saying, don't envy. Instead, show reverence to God all day. Celebrate God celebrate his qualities and his possessions his achievements His attributes his possessions everything that god has who he is and what he will continue to do in your life Celebrate those things. That's where you should be aiming your heart That's where you should be running after for the source of your satisfaction because if you put anything else over that You're going to be disappointed You're going to be dissatisfied And this battle For us has been raging since the beginning. This battle of believing that we have to have the things of other people in order to be happy, instead of being able to celebrate God and who He is, which allows us to actually celebrate the things that other people are enjoying as well, and to respect things in their proper place instead of envying them. This battle in our heart has been raging since the very beginning. If you've read the first few chapters of the Bible, you have Adam and Eve, and they're in the garden right? And they are in perfect presence of God and relationship with him. And they are satisfied. They are content. They are full of joy. And we like to imagine sometimes that it's like this really weird place. We don't actually know what's happening there. Maybe there's like meditating and singing songs. Like, no, no, they're. They have jobs and they have a relationship, right? They're cultivating their relationship. They're cultivating the garden. They're seeking to have dominion. That Actually, that word cultivate eventually becomes the word that we use for culture. So Adam and Eve are making culture in the garden. They're the presence of God, full of joy, satisfaction, contentment. And God says, listen, just don't eat of this tree, right? Everything else you can have, you're going to be full of joy and happiness and satisfaction, but you don't eat of this tree, they're like, okay, so they're going about their business, and they're stumbling by the tree. I don't know why they're over there, but they're over by the tree. And there's a serpent there, right? And the serpent comes up, and he he says this. Did God actually say don't eat of the tree? Isn't that what always floods your mind? Did God actually say that? And and they're like, well, I mean, I don't know. And and then the serpent comes in and says, well, let me tell you something. Let Let me give you the truth. The reason God doesn't want you to eat of the tree is because God knows that if you eat of the tree you're going to be like him. What's it saying? He's saying that if you eat of the tree you're actually going to be happier. You're going to progress. You're going to reach the next level. You're going to be more wise. You think things are good now, but it, I mean if you run after that, if you aim your heart there, if you take from the tree, you're going to be really happy. Fully satisfied even more than you are now. You can't imagine. That's why God he wants to keep it to himself. He doesn't want you to partake of it. And then it says that Eve, as she's looking at it, Adam is with her and she says, you know what? It does look good. And it seems like it'll be a delight. It looks good. And it seems like it'll be a delight. And so they take and they eat of it. And then they're cast out of the garden as they recognize in that moment, that satisfaction and joy and perfect presence relationship with God has been severed and they no longer have what they once had and when God was the source of their satisfaction. Isn't that what happens in our life, right? We hear this, we know it. Okay, I know God needs to be the source of my satisfaction. I'm going to aim my heart at him. I'm going to celebrate him and his qualities and his possessions and his achievements and all these different things. But then we start Monday and guess what happens Monday? Did God actually say don't aim your heart at that job? Did God actually say that if you aim your heart at that school to get into, you're not going to be more? I mean, you're going to be happier. Come on, if you make this much money, you're going to be much happier. If you have this type of relationship, you're going to be much happier. Let's just be honest. Come on, if if you have these qualities and you build these talents in yourself, or if you make yourself over to look this certain way, I mean, you are going to be much more satisfied. You're going to reach the next level. You're going to be more wise. You're going to be more powerful. And we say, you know what? That does look good. It looks like a delight. Seems like a good idea. And so we take our heart that we know is to be aimed at God. And we aim it at something else. That we're tempted to say, you know what? That does look good. And I think that's going to be a delight for me. And when we do that we notice, as the Psalms say, that we're falling down, and the satisfaction, the happiness is literally leaving us, because we fall and pray to believe that we can find satisfaction anywhere but our relationship with God. It says in verse 18, surely there is a future, and your hope will not be cut off, right? This is what you're to celebrate, If you are here and you're a believer and you believe that God is in fact good as we sang in the beginning of our service. And that he is a delight and that he has opened up the door of that relationship with you because Jesus has done what we could never do. Is he paid the price for our sins on the cross and he was buried and he rose the third day and he offered you a gift that you didn't earn or deserve. And he says, listen, come and be in relationship with me, accept grace through faith. And you will find true joy and satisfaction. You will find a future and a hope that is set. You're not going to be cut off. You're actually going back to a garden, but it's way better. It's a new city. As you come and be in relationship with God, and you're going to cultivate. You're going to work. It's going to be way better than what you read of in Genesis. And don't worry, you're not going to have a tree that you're going to be tempted to eat from because you're going to be perfect in relationship with me. That is where your future is. That is where you're going. And now as you live your life, you can actually have a taste of that as you set your heart on that direction. And what happens when you really believe that, when you really allow that not only to just be in your mind, but it goes to your heart and it drives your behavior and you begin to celebrate who God is and what he does in your life. You say, you know what? I am exactly how God wanted me to be. I am where God wants me to be. I have the talents that God wanted me to have. The possessions that God brings along the way are to be used and stewarded to celebrate him, not just celebrate myself. Because I have a future and a hope that is secure. And I have a relationship with God, which is where satisfaction is actually truly found. And I can find it there. It changes everything of your perspective. And so how do you find satisfaction? You aim your heart at the Lord every single day. Not on Sundays only. Not a couple times a year, not a couple times a month, but every single day you take time, you put that perspective on, you meditate on that, you read his word, you pray, you do all those things that you hear all the time in church that are to be a part of your daily routine. And you say, God, I'm going to celebrate you. I know my heart, my flesh may fail. I'm going to have times where I'm going to be looking at different things and believing that I need to have them. But I know you're going to be next to me. You're going to be my strength. You're going to be my portion. And I am going to celebrate you and your abilities, and your possessions, and your achievements, and your attributes every single day, because when I do that, my heart is going to be aimed at you, and I'm actually going to find satisfaction. I'm going to find contentment. I'm actually going to find the one who is good and is a delight, instead of being tempted by everything that seems to look good and seems to be a delight, but is in fact not. So aim your heart at the Lord. Let's pray.